hot flashes, uterine fibroids, PMS, PCOS. Okay, any of those ring a bell? How about headaches? How about just not feeling well, cranky? You might have estrogen dominance. Look, this show's important because most estrogen dominance goes undiagnosed and it definitely goes mistreated by both sides, allopathic medicine and alternative medicine. This show is going to separate the truth from the myths and we're gonna get right down to the solutions. But I think the importance of this show too is bringing out that so many of these conditions, we're just throwing hormones at them and not getting to the cause. We're gonna talk about that, but very, very important show you're gonna to wanna to share because so many people have this problem and are either being mistreated or not diagnosed. Check it out. I want to give thanks to one of our sponsors, Cyto Defend. Look, at a time like this, I think that our immune system and keeping our immune system up right now is more important than ever. I can also tell you that I pay attention to the things that keep my immune system on par and healthy. So, so glad that Cyto Defend is one of our sponsors here on Cell TV, and it's a product that I use, my family uses, and hopefully you'll check it out. And by the way, you can check it out with the link right here below. If you wanna try a free bottle, you can actually get a free bottle, just pay the shipping. And I think you'll reorder after that, but check it out. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing CytoDefend product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit freeimmunity.com. Again, that's freeimmunity.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome Magdalena Shalaki, who is a certified nutrition coach, herbalist, and a published best-selling cookbook author, speaker, and educator. Her hormone crisis included autoimmune thyroid conditions, adrenal issues, and estrogen dominance. Following specific strategies, she now lives a symptom-free life and is here to share how she got her hormones balanced and her health back. So I cannot wait for this topic. Let's get started and welcome Magdalena and of course, Dr. Pampa. Welcome both of you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, gosh, I, I said to Ashley and you um, prior to this, gosh, I'm excited about this because this is a topic that we've never done on Cell TV, but it's a topic that I'm aware of that's mistreated by allopathic medicine and alternative medicine, oftentimes even um, underdiagnosed because so many people have symptoms like you know, fibroids, right? I mean, um, you know, different type of estrogen dominant cysts, obviously estrogen types of cancer, right? And it even just unexplainable hormone um, conditions and they don't ever, or at least hold that it is estrogen dominance. So I want you to get into your story because you know it's made you an expert in this area to the point where you know you've written a book about it, which is going to be launching here soon. So we're ahead of that. Um, but I'm going to have you hold up the book. But I I do want you to start with your story. But I I want to engage people right away. You know I mentioned a few of them that people will go oh that's estrogen dominance. So let's start there. What you know, some of these things that many women may not realize is estrogen dominance and is why they should listen to this show and read your book. What are they? 
Yeah, you know, so starting off with girls who are in the menstruating years, right? So younger, younger women, if you're talking about period problems or having, let's just talk about the, simple, the, the most common one, and that's PMS. There are some girls who have PMS so bad, it's debilitating for a day or two before a period or first two days of, of your period. Um, I certainly was one of those, you know, on the floor with painkillers um, next to me in a fetal position for first two days of my period and skipping school and work later. And, and I think it's a big part of our society's belief that is, as it is normal to have uh, pimples, you know, which is not uh, when you're a teenager, neither is it normal to have PMS just because it's so common. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it normal, right? It's not normalized. Those words about a lot of things, but 100%. Exactly. Exactly. So, and then it goes the same way, you know, I mean, there are women who have periods for 20 days out of a month and are feeling terrible and always feel like something is wrong with them. Um, women who don't have their periods or their periods are very erratic and, and sporadic. And so, and estrogen dominance can be a leading cause for that. Um, and then, you know, moving on to more serious stuff like having a fibroid, uterine polyps, right? Um, you know, where Western medicine today deals with it in ways that are not, not very sustainable, right? In the best case, they'll do a procedure that cuts off the blood supply to the fibroid, to the uterus. Uh, well, guess what? Six months later, it's going to come back in some other form, right? Um, and, um, you know, worse still is uh, removing of the uterus, having a, having a partial or full hysterectomy is the way to go. And for some women, you know, post, um, say, reproductive years, it might not be that much of an issue, even though as a 48-year-old woman, I would not want to lose my uterus because energetically, I feel like it's just not the right way to go. Um, but women who are, imagine, you know, if you have fibroids and you want to have children and your doctor tells you it's the size of a grapefruit and there's nothing we can do, we're going to operate tomorrow, right? You know, it's, you just surrender to it uh, without the knowledge that actually you can do a lot about it um, to, to actually shrink your fibroids. Yeah. You know, talking about, um, I mean, which woman, you tell me, hasn't found a lump on her breast at one point in her life. And let me just say that it's a woman who has had them in the past, that moment you find it, whether it's one or two, you hit Dr. Google and, and you conclude that, you know, within the next two years, you're going to be dead, right? Because it is most certainly looks like uh, breast cancer. And then even if you were more positive, then is the issue of diagnosis. How do you get it diagnosed properly? People tell you different things, how you should get go about it. Um, and, and again, is a completely preventable um, issue with, uh, with fibrocystic breast or lumpy breast. I mean, you know, some women have such fibrocystic breasts, such painful breasts that even putting on a bra, putting on a bra or doing any sports during this time of a month. And some, for some women it could be as much as, as long as two weeks out of a month, they can't even touch that area, right? Um, you know, more serious stuff, like talking about estrogenic cancers. Um, so, you know, something that is, um, it's, I, I still find like it's so underestimated or so under-talked about is the fact that um, majority of breast cancers in women are what's called estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So it's the estrogen that fuels the growth of the malignant tissue. And, and guess what? And no one really is addressing the issue that estrogen dominance is what feeds those cancers, but also uterine cancers, ovarian cancers, thyroid cancers, and lung cancers and non-smokers are all estrogenic cancers. Mm. You know, both sides of my family have seen deaths. I've, I've lost aunts on both sides of my mom's and my dad's side to estrogenic cancers, um, breast, ovarian, and uterine. And, and that was, I mean, one of the reasons what propelled me to, uh, to doing this work. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, a little bit on the, um, also let me not forget thyroid nodules, which I know you do a lot of work with, uh, with the thyroid. Interestingly, thyroid nodules also grow largely due to, or can grow largely to, due to estrogen dominance, so excess estrogen. Um, you know, and, and lastly, I'll just talk about like some little, little benign things, but drives women crazy when I polled our audience asking, what's the thing that annoys you the most? Like, what is the most, um, you know, annoying symptom about estrogen dominance that you, you experience? You know, weight gain, like stubborn weight gain came as number one reason. And specifically when a woman is excessively estrogenic, we put on weight around our hips and our thighs. And no matter how much you exercise, how much you, you hit that gym five times a week and you go running. And if you don't um, you know, address the underlying cause, which is estrogen dominance, it's very difficult to lose that weight there. So it's really interesting how different hormones uh, store fats differently in, in your body. So you, yeah. know, you tell me which woman do you know in your life who hasn't had one of those, <laughs> right? Well, you know, that's the problem. It's become like this little you know, epidemic, uh, especially in this country. And yet it goes either undiagnosed and it definitely goes untreated. You know, and again, I said by both sides, because on the alternative yeah. side, I see more and more of just people taking bioidentical hormones. It's like, yeah. okay, um, you may or may not feel better from that, but really it's not addressing the cause. And, and that's been, you know, my song that I've you know preached for a long time. My wife dealt with this and her mother uh, had, uh, breast cancer, um, you know, survivor, right? Only to get 10 years later, get uterine cancer. No one really ever got to her cause. My wife, thank God, was a different story. Okay, so tell your story though, because that, that is what makes you an expert in this. When, you know, when someone has their own pain to purpose, right? You would never yeah. know what you know, right? Obviously there's doctors on both sides who I'm saying, they, they don't get this, right? It's like, you get it because you went through it. What's the story? So, you know, starting off with uh, the fact that the PMS that I mentioned before, I was the one in the fetal position. Um, and I remember, you know, not going to school. My parents, like I was always an A plus student. So it was never an issue of wanting to skip school, but I just, I just couldn't um, show up to school. It started off that way, but, you know, um, it's, it kind of grew from there, um, I think, to a point where it was like this perfect combination of, and I'm sure you see this in your practice too, of thyroid issues with estrogen dominance, estrogen dominance fuels thyroid issues and autoimmunity, excess estrogen is highly inflammatory. So in my late twenties, I was diagnosed with Graves disease. Right there, real fast, because yeah. I don't want to forget to ask the question. So yeah. what comes first? I've been asked this question, right? And so what comes first, the thyroid problem or the estrogen dominance? Um, you know, so what, what's uh, the order? You know, I mean, I don't know. In, I, I mean, I think in my case, it was, I think estrogen dominance first and that excess estrogen was causing uh, the inflammatory response of my immune system. But then, you know, at the same time, I was also a competitive athlete. athlete. I used to work 12 hours a day mm-hmm. and say that sleep was for the, for the dead. <laughs> I'll sleep when I die, right? Drink, party. I, I wasn't doing drugs, but I smoked. You know, so, I mean, how much, you know, which one was it? I, I can't really uh, say, but it's definitely all interconnected. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, and- I guess in my mind, I, I, mm-hmm. I've seen it both ways, but I, you know, I, I wanted to hear your, your take on it. And, and you're probably right. In your case, it was probably the estrogen dominance. And then, you know, that, you know the, the point there too is, is that, you know, hormones are very interrelated, right? And, yeah. and people, thyroid hormone, I feel better, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, there, there's so many hormones here that are involved, but okay. So, you know, finish your story. Obviously you had also said you had a major family 
um, history yeah. yeah of that and you know just to your point I mean that's like and, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to this it's hardly ever did you have one hormonal problem like if you have a thyroid issue is oftentimes you're hitting headed, headed for perimenopause and menopause right um, you know you've got PCOS a lot of times comes with estrogen dominance estrogen dominance comes a lot of with low thyroid function I've and, I haven't really seen a woman who just had one <laughs> that's, and that's it. So, you know, so yeah, so it's, uh, so started off with a terrible PMS and then it kind of moves then to autoimmunity. So first Graves disease, I was put on meta blockers, right? As you would, and then cold cure. Um, and then in 2008, I was in a very crazy job. I used to work in advertising as a strategic planner, you know, and jet set around the whole of Asia. I was stationed out of Shanghai, China. And, um, my friends will call me and say, I'm not going to ask you, how are you? I'm just going to ask you, where are you right now? You know, I was the girl on a Sunday flying off somewhere to do a presentation, a pitch mm -hmm. to some next client on Monday. And all of that was super fabulous. But the, the truth of the matter was that um, I, I started feeling that after a few years of doing this, that my body was beginning to shut down. And I, I'm really grateful for having that sort of intuition, that little voice that was saying, you know, if you don't give this up now, you're going to pay for it later. And we sold the agency that I was working for. And I walked away from majority of the payout. I just collected the initial payment after slaving it for 10 years, because wow. I knew that, you know, whatever earnout I was going to get in, in that big money, it was going to go towards my, my medical bills because I was feeling that terrible. And, and when I say terrible, it was everything from starting having memory loss, uh, which is, could be another sign of estrogen dominance. Um, that I was having a terrible mood swings. And I will say, you know, it's like, it, it, it's come to a point where you don't recognize yourself. You say certain things, you do certain say to people, and you, you know that as a core, that's not who you are as a person, but you just can't stop yourself. And it's like being intentionally um, difficult or, or ugly or nasty to someone and then regretting it later, right? But, you know, sometimes it's too late and I've destroyed relationships in the past of the people I love the most. Um, I've had a blow up with a client. We lost an account because I had a, because I had a moment, right? Um, so there was that. And, and you know, and those, those lumpy breasts, I mean, that was one of the scariest moments when you get diagnosed, right? You, well, when you start feeling it, first of all, yourself, and especially when it's one breast and you go, one breast lump is most of the time it's going to be breast cancer, right? So, you know, it's, it's, and then seeing both sides of my family, um, both my aunts, um, two aunts and one aunt passing away, and doing a lot more research into this and realizing it's not just that I have Hashimoto's and thyroid disease when I was, which I was diagnosed with in 2008, but it was really the estrogen that was the right issue. And I will just tell you one more thing. When I went to see my functional doctor here in Colorado, where I live, um, I, I brought my whole you know, deck of printed out reports and, and labs as you do. And she's flipping, she was flipping through it and she said, have you had breast cancer? <laughs> I'm like, no, well, why would you say that? I'm, you know, I'm 45. And, and she said, you know, women with your genetics at your age, I would normally have seen some kind of estrogenic cancer by now. So I think by doing this work, I've dodged the bullet and I'm planning, I'm still planning to be dodging that bullet. Um, but certainly, you know, the genetics sh showed that I have those specific genes. I have double mutations and so many of them that are essential metabolizing and detoxing us from estrogens and you know and i think with that came a lot of forgiveness and a lot of kindness to myself realizing that that's just how my body's programmed and i can just and i just need to put a little bit more work 
to be observant of the things that I teach today. Um, and, you know, the last thing I will say that the reason what led me to doing this work is because to your point, like you said about practitioners, not really recognizing this or even being too educated about this condition, but what about the patients? Like if, if your practitioner isn't well-versed in it, you, your patients are even more so going to be that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is one condition I find it's, I feel like it's even just, this is totally anecdotal, um, but I feel like even more women have estrogen problems, estrogen dominance problems compared to thyroid issues. And yet no one is talking about it. Ah, that's why right? we're going to know. I agree with you. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I, I have to ask the obvious question, you know, and I want, you know, people to caution, you know, my, my wife didn't have the typical genes, right. And I would assume, you know, her mother didn't either, you know, but yet she, you know, went this direction, right. For multiple reasons we'll, we'll talk about. What is the, the best way? What's the earliest detection, right? Because some people, it's not just as simple as a blood test oftentimes. So, you know, what, what do you do? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So one of the um, early signs that you are, you tend to be highly estrogenic and you don't metabolize estrogen very effectively is when women takes birth control pills and feels terrible. Mm. And, and, you know, gets all the symptoms that, that we talked about, right? Like lumpy breast and you're getting fibrocystic breast and, you, and your moods are just off the charts. And um, that's just, just like really, really early sign. But other ones is like just the difficulty with periods. I mean, we all start off with periods as women, right? And so you're saying, look, I mean, you know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like one, it may be a duck. So you're looking at those early symptoms is what you're saying is the first thing to yeah. look at. And then, and you can continue with that. Then I'm asking, what's the next best test to do? Oh, I see. You're talking about like testing, testing. Gotcha. So my, you know, my favorite way of testing is, is to do um, urine tests for hormones. I, I don't recommend doing uh, blood testing for steroid hormones. Yeah, we do. We like a 24 hour urine collection from, you know, Dutch or Genova, you know, yeah. one of those, it shows you the estrogen metabolites, which I'll let you explain yes. in a little bit, because that was my wife's issue. They were through the roof, all the wrong ones. Right. And, right. you know, obviously showed a problem. And again, I, I caution my blood's my wife's blood levels of estrogen were always look very normal, right? I mean, yes, look very normal. Exactly. So, go ahead. Yeah, we are, we are two peas in a pot, you know, on this one, absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. And when I was in private practice, I used to have women coming in and saying, my doc says everything is okay. Like my, my you know, my estrogen progesterone looks okay. And not even once did the doctor ask, like, are you in your luteal phase? Are you doing, like, did you test during ovulation? Or was it your your follicular phase, right? They just, you know, they just like, but anyway, blood is completely useless when it comes to steroid hormones. So your estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, unless it's like maybe cortisol morning, it depends how you, how you look at it. DHEA, testosterone, blood really is not going to be, what's going to be revealing. So urine tests, definitely for progesterone. I do like saliva testing. I find that it's a lot more accurate just to see your progesterone levels. Um, so yeah, but you know, it's it's not everybody has the budget to do them to do testing, right? And some women do, some women don't. Um, and so a lot of the time, we just you know we go by symptoms. And if you're already showing a lot of these symptoms we talked about, the interventions. If you when I say interventions, it's like it can be as gentle and and kind to yourself as 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 it gets through some really good nutrition. And you know, hopefully, we can talk a little bit of, about yeah. a few of those. Um, a few herbs and a few supplements can really tick, you know, tip you over to the other side and start resolving your symptoms. So I think testing is great. I would say, especially for someone who's had history of cancers in a, estrogenic cancers in the family, 
who has had cancer herself, I think um, having those tests done, I highly recommend it. Find the budget to do that. Even if you need to do a fundraiser yeah. campaign, do it. Uh, yeah. I think you can find a Dutch test online now, at least, um, you know, three, $400, you know, in, in that yeah. range. And I think Genova is more like around 600 or so, 700, you know, somewhere around there. So you're right. I mean, it's not cheap, right? But I, I think worth it. But okay, so, um, you know, on the urine test, um, if you have the symptoms, then maybe you do get the urine test. We're gonna talk about solutions. If you can't afford to get the urine test, because most insurance doesn't pay for it, just, you know, if you ask. But yeah. um, we'll, we'll talk about some of the solutions because you might want to just do the solutions if you have the symptoms, to your point. But on the, the urine test, where they, we collect the urine for 24 hours, right? Um, it's able to look at estrogen levels, but more importantly, estrogen metabolites. Yeah. Explain the difference because the metabolites, meaning breaking down toxic urine and you know, that's really key, uh, you know, and, and again, that was my wife's problem, you know, in, in yours. So kind of explain that because yeah. in what you would look at and see, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm at risk here. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm so glad we're talking about that. So one of the, you know, I'm glad that estrogen dominance has a name, at least as a, as a phenomenon. Uh, the, the, the name, however, doesn't do it justice because it kind of creates a fear of estrogen, yes. which is which is false. Right. And, you know, as women, we shouldn't be fearing estrogen. Um, I would not be able here be standing here and talking to you if I didn't have sufficient levels of estrogen, right? Okay. Women who have low estrogen will, I mean, hello, menopause, right? Your brain is not working anymore. Your bones are breaking. Your vagina is dry. Your moods are from hell, right? And, you know, when you kind of, um, your cardiovascular health sucks. So, so you need, we need estrogen to function properly. However, what you're saying is, is how we break them down. And so I want to just give you like a simple analogy, especially for people who are maybe not medically uh, trained. Yes. It's like when you're standing, imagine you're standing on the side of a river and you see this river flowing through in the middle of the, of the river, there is a river bank with these beautiful plants and trees and roots, right? And as the river flows through the bank, the bank separates the, the, the water into clean water and dirty water. And that's exactly what happens in the body, except that think of the bank as your liver <laughs> and is your liver that separates those dirty from clean estrogens. So it's really important to remember that um, the, first of all, we have the good metabolites, like the two hydroxyestrone is a beneficial estrogen metabolite that we really need as protective. Is the other, the four and the 16 that can be problematic. And it's the health of your liver, a little bit of your gut as well, but let's talk about the liver first. Um, where you, you, you know, really, this is where the breakdown happens. And, yeah. and one of the, you know, one of the funny things I have to tell you is we have a quiz on our website and, and the results sometimes um, women get is they get that they are low on, on estrogen, but it still tells them that they are estrogen dominant. So we get this email saying, you people don't know what you're talking about. Your quiz sucks, right? Because I'm like, I can't be estrogen dominant and be in menopause. And the answer is yes, you can. And yeah. the answer is to your point about um, those metabolites is that you can be low on estrogen and still be breaking down that estrogen unfavorably to too many of those dirty estrogens, what I call for simplicity. Mm -hmm. And there's the function of your liver, right? This is where all the magic um, or lack of magic happens. Yeah, no, exactly. And we see that, you know, you, you run the test and uh, oftentimes it's like their estrogen is very low, but they have these high toxic metabolites like 4-hydroxyestrone, very in, uh, linked to breast cancer.
you know, in the literature. And so, you know, it, it's when you look at the total estrogen, it gets very confusing because there's protective estrogens like estriol as an example, right? I mean, there's, there's more protective and there's even more protective estrogen metabolites. Again, the breakdown of estrogen that are protective. So not what you think. So the bottom line is, okay, you can run that test. That's the one that we both think is more valuable. It looks at these metabolites. But uh, if you have this set of symptoms that we discussed, hey, look, you know, if, if it looks like uh, a duck waddles like one, quacks like one, it might be one. So you might have this. Okay, so what are some of the solutions, right? What are some of the solutions that uh, people can do even now? Yeah. So, you know, the answer is support your liver. And, and it's not surprising that as you age, your liver has also, it's like a sieve, right? That's just accumulated a lot of junk. And so if you don't do, you know, I, I know in the United States, as, as you can hear, I'm not American. So one of the phenomenon that I, I've observed when I moved to the US was, well, many things. I, I did feel like I was landing on a different planet. But one of it was that everybody's doing like these really crazy detoxes twice a year. And I think it's kind of great, like, especially if it's, if it's done carefully and under supervision and, and with, um, you know, with a proven method, like the way you do your detoxes. But it's a different story when you have, you know, when someone who's eating junk all year long, and then these, they do these two detoxes a year, and they're kind of expecting miracles. And so I'm a big proponent. It's a little bit like cleaning your house. Imagine like, if you just say it two, two times a year, I'm just going to clean out my house. Like, you know, I'm going to get my whole family going to do like major clean out of the house. But the rest of the year, you never clean your house. I mean, imagine living like that, right? So with the liver, you know, I'm a big proponent of doing little things every day that incorporates, incorporate that into your diet that really help your liver detoxify because really, even little things can help. So one of my big first things is I'll say, get rid of the goddamn lettuce in your salads. <laughs> bring in some nice bitters like arugula or baby kale or bitter greens, right? You know, anything that's bitter stimulates the liver, right? Um, the bile starts flowing. By the way, one symptom we didn't talk about, I forgot to mention is gallbladder. Um, it's really interesting relationship of estrogen dominance can cause the growth of the, you know, the stagnation of the, of the bile and creation of gallstones. But it's also the other way around when you have a poorer diet especially women who have a problem with eating dairy, develop gallstones, and then bile doesn't flow properly, and that can lead to estrogen dominance. So it's a really quite a phenomenal relationship between those two. Um, so anything that lets the bile flow, you know, we call it kelagogs, right, in herbalism. And so anything that's got bitter. So like one of my other favorite little things to do is bring on those turnips and radishes into your diet. It's really fascinating. You know, every time I go to Whole Foods and I check out, and they go, they look at the radish and they go, what's this? <laughs> what's the code? <laughs> um, and I realized it's because a lot of people don't buy it because they don't know what to do with it. So simple ways of incorporating radishes, which are, you know, pungent and, and, and bitter, but they also contain the, the cruciferous, the cabbage family, right? That's got incredible ability to detoxify you of estrogens, not because of the, liver, the bitter qualities, but also because they contain a lot of other substances, including DIM, uh, which stands for methane, also super supportive towards the liver. So you get like this really nice package, right? In one little uh, radish or, or a turnip. One of my favorite ways of cooking them is to chop them up and put them in an the oven for half an hour, 40 minutes with some salt and good olive oil. And just by roasting them, you're releasing a lot of the sugars, the polysaccharides sweeten them, but they still remain bitter, but not as pungent. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. 
Yeah, my, my wife uh, does this fennel salad the very exact same way. It's simply salt, pepper, olive oil. It's like, it's so uh, simple. Exactly. But good. You can do that with any of the, you know, any of the bitters that you just mentioned, actually. Yeah. And, you know, and one other thing I'll just mention, which is so simple to do is, and especially these days, you walk into a lot of the health food stores and you find teas that are liver supporting, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you can make it yourself. You can just buy herbs in bulk um, and, or you can buy it in, tea, you know, in tea bags. Anything that contains burdock root and dandelion root are, I mean, those are big, big bile movers and liver movers, these two herbs. And, you know, I have had our uh, women in our community saying that they crave that tea now after mm-hmm. meals. And it's just a wonderful way of your body saying like, yeah. I want one of those. Like yeah. this feels good. Have this after a meal. Um, so having it after a meal, it's a bit like, you know, I'm a big digestive bitters person. So, but I know it's not for everyone, but just having a bitter tea after a meal, what a wonderful treat you can you know, do. A lot of countries, they have these in, in their practice, right? Like, yeah. you know, in Mediterranean countries that, you know, they eat fennel before, after meals. In Italy, Negroni is uh, is is literally an alcohol that they always drink after meals. It's bitters is what why they're doing it. So I mean, Campari, well, right? The same thing. Yeah. Like when well, you have a Campari, you have it for a meal. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of this, you know, a lot of those uh, digestifs, right? They're bitters. That's what they are. You know, they're herbal bitters. And um, you know, it, in northern Italy, they always after every course they would bring out stuff and it was they were bitters they were like different types of bitters right? you have them eat it between courses you know anyway yeah because it helps right it helps your digestion it helps move the bile out which helps break down food it helps stimulate digestive enzymes into your point uh, it goes even beyond that it helps your liver it helps your liver convert these uh toxic estrogens into more safer forms gets rid of them so, you know, awesome. You know, is there, when we look at this, is there um, people at risk? You know, we, we briefly, obviously there's some genetics uh, that tie people into this, you know, okay, genetic testing is expensive, but I mean, we can look at our family, we can look at our mother, our grandmother, uh, you know, do you, do you talk about that in your book? And by the way, hold up your book for people because all this information's in there. So it's called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance. No surprise in the title there. Um, like three quarter of the book is basically, um, you know, of protocols and explaining what's going on. And then the rest of it is all basically uh, recipes. So really simple recipes that incorporate the food. That's awesome. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, you, you're a strong believer in food as a cause. And I was kind of leading into that as my next thing. But I, I want to stay on my first question. Who's at risk? Part of that answer is certain diets put people at risk, right? You know, genes are one thing, but, um, you know, absolutely, you know, people, you know, am I at risk? I mean, that's what people are going to ask the question. Right. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. So to your point, I mean, absolutely. It's uh, like, first of all, like, how do you know you are more sensitive? Like, let's just start off with genes in case you're genetically predisposition, you know, because you're much more sensitive. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Whenever I go to, you know, before uh, COVID was happening and raging the world, uh, I, you know, every, at least once a year, I'll go to Europe for a month, a month, month and a half. And it would be either Italy or Spain or Portugal. And I just love uh, Mediterranean uh, Europe. And, uh, and, you know, and, and I'll just go a little silly, you know, and I have espresso and 
I eat gluten a lot more than other. I never eat gluten here. Um, gluten there is different to, to be fair. <laughs> I know, but I have to tell you, like I still pay the price for it. And, and then, you know, and then dairy and all of that stuff, right? And, you know, and I come back and it's like my breast alarm feel over again. My period is just from hell. And, and I know I'm gonna, you know, I know I'm gonna pay the price, right? But then you just pause and you go back to your, your, your good lifestyle. And so, so being like sensitive, and I used to get really angry with myself thinking, you know, these Italian women live like this every night. Like they have these two glasses of wine and why am I so sensitive about all of this? And, and it was creating a lot of anger in me. And, and, and I realized that later, once I get the, got the genes done, I'm just a lot more sensitive. So any woman who is a lot more sensitive, right? Then anyone else, you know, that's, um, that's an indicator. Family history is obviously a big indicator of the symptoms we talked about. But another one is also your own lifestyle. You know, I'm sure people who are now listening to you don't do a lot of these things, but it could be that they have been doing that. They had been doing that in their, their past lives, right? So things like, for example, you know, using mainstream skincare products, right? Leather yourself with all the big brands that you see advertised on television or magazines, right? You know, all those nice fragrances. What do you call those? Um, when you, uh, when you walk into a room, it smells really nice, those uh, air fresheners, right? Oh, hey there. I mean, that's, oh, God. That's <laughs> people have it in the cars, you know, for like, oh. and then fill it and for, you, for hours at a time at home. I mean, that's like the fastest way, you know, anything you want to fast hit, right? You inhale it, right? Yeah, they're, they're endocrine disruptors. You're breathing them right into your bloodstream. And then you're rubbing endocrine disruptors all over your skin. Oh, then you wash your clothes and use fabric softener, which has at least six endocrine disruptors and neurotoxins right. in it, you know? You, right. and you, you know, and then you go and have your coffee in, um, in a styrofoam cup, right? With plastic on top, right? Yeah. So, so you know, when you, when you create like a, a walkthrough maybe of your past life, and, and a lot of us, we did that because no one was really talking about it, right? And it's nobody's fault. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's nobody's fault. We just didn't know. And I'm sure a lot of your folks are not doing that anymore. But I'm just painting a picture. Like sometimes you just have to consider the fact that you, you might need to detox a little bit from yeah. from that. And that is that was that could be a big contributor. Food is another one. Obviously, the more processed food you have a history of eating, um, I especially found it problematic with meat. So conventionally, I don't even know why we call it conventionally grown uh, food or or animals uh, because there's nothing conventional about it. It's just why don't we just call it what it is? Toxic way of growing food. You know, and, and, and just meat that has got growth hormones in it and antibiotics, right? All of that disrupts your endocrine system in a big way. So um, dairy, another, another one, a lot of women having a lot of issues go away the minute they stop eating dairy. Uh, commercial dairy, uh, it hold, it's, so, it's so endocrine disrupting, right? I'm a believer in grass-fed real dairy God's way. I mean, I've been to many different healthy places, cultures where they consume dairy, but they're not consuming what we're consuming. Dairy is one of the most toxic things. So it's, you know, it's, it's as a, com and then combine it with birth control pills, right? Huh. Women who've been on it for years and years, and you're talking about as um, synthetic estrogens and synthetic progesterone, even if it's just progesterone only pill, it's still progestin, it's not progesterone, that can itself can create issues. So, you know, not to mention the fact that that birth control pills basically rob you of so many nutrients that your body, your endocrine system needs, uh, your liver needs to detoxify. So anyway, so this is like, this is like the perfect storm that happened to, I'm sure a lot of women, it happened to me. Um, 
you know, wrap it all up with stress. Uh, what a perfect combination when you're stressed out and that stress can be physical, emotional, over-exercising, for example, frequent travel, the way I used to be on the road, uh, you know, every week I was in a different country. Um, all of that can contribute towards stress and stress robs you of progesterone. It robs you of magnesium. And so you burn through a lot more, uh, speaking of progesterone, progesterone, low progesterone is also another indicator of estrogen dominance, not a form of estrogen dominance. We talked about estrogen dominance being due to the metabolites that you brought up at first. Another form of estrogen dominance that can happen is when you have too much of estrogen and too little progesterone. Even though both of your estrogen and progesterone could be low, like the way women going, going into perimenopause and menopause are low on both, but they are super low on progesterone. And that could be another reason why you have estrogen dominant symptoms, even when you are in menopause. Yeah. Yeah, th there's no doubt about it. So what about some, what about some herbs? You, you kind of threw a few out of there. We talked about food, but what about some herbal, uh, you know, herbs are a more potent uh, food, if you will, and a faster reactor. Um, you know, to basically getting the body to get rid of something like estrogen. So what are some of the recommendations? Yeah, so really, um, so I mentioned two already, which is the burdock and then the lion root. Yep. Um, having a tea with that, just absolutely wonderful. You know, there is one herb that just um, has come up um, for the past year. I've just been really embracing it and, and, um, and it's andrographis. Andrographis, mm. uh, it's, it's called the, the, the queen of bitters in Ayurvedic medicine. It's more of a sub, sub Asian, um, sub um, Indian Indian uh, plant, but very popular, uh, becoming getting a lot of traction. Andrographis, in fact, right now is used in Thailand to prevent and cure and, and treat um, COVID. So just that little FYI. But the reason why I like I love andrographis is because, as the name implies, is a queen of bitters. So it's not particularly an herb that you're gonna be cherishing and uh, and sipping on. <laughs> it's something you'd rather shoot and be done with it. But so one is the bitter, uh, the bitter quality really is an amazing Kellogg, just moves your bile like crazy. But the other thing that I really love about it is that it works on, you know, we talked about those metabolites, right? The, the two, the four and the 16. Endrographis um, codes for enzymes on a DNA level where, that helps to skew the balance towards the two, the protective estrogen and moving away from the dirty estrogen. So you know, what a wonderful herb. And um, I'm working a lot with it uh, right now, doing our own formulations uh, with it because of the- Where do you buy endographis? What's that? Where do you buy endographis? You buy it in the form of tinctures. And, um, and so Herb Farm has got uh, one really wonderful one, very well extracted. So I would say tinctures is one. That's my favorite delivery. You can also find it in pills, uh, but it extracts best in, in alcohol. And so there's the best delivery method. One other thing I want to mention um, that I think is just something that's very pleasurable and can be made as part of a, a, every woman's daily uh, routine is red clover. You know, it's red clover is estrogenic in, in its activity. So a lot of women are terrified uh, by red clover. But again, like to our conversation earlier, just because you're taking something that's estrogenic, it doesn't mean it's bad for you. Yeah, yeah. And so, so it's women who have hot flashes, for example, will drink a red clover and feel like, you know, when the hot flash is alleviating very quickly because they're raising their estrogen levels. But on the other hand, what red clover does is like, it's like an endocrine adaptogen. It adapts depending to what you need. So if you're estrogen dominant, it's gonna support your body in, again, in, in that balance of estrogen mm -hmm. we talked about. So just an, an incredible, so basically it's like 
you know, it's, it's whether you have hot flashes or women's got PMS, red clover is going to rebalance the body. And that's one of the beautiful things about herbs is that two separate conditions can take it, right? Totally. But do completely different work and depending on what your body needs. Pomegranates are like that as well, you know? Um, pomegranates, for example, that's like my other favorite food. Something a lot of people don't like to eat because they don't know how to take seeds out. There's actually... Um, there's simple ways like you can just cut it across, put it upside down and bang it on top and all the seeds will basically fall out through your hands. Oh, wow. it's, it's, a, it's like a two minute method to get all the seeds out on both sides. And, and you know, the incredible thing is that pomegranates, for instance, is that is to, to, earlier to my point is that whether you're like a girl who's who, a woman who can't get pregnant um, or it's a fertility uh, fruit is given in India, for example, but it's also used extensively for women in, in menopause who have hot flashes and memory loss in Iran, right? Yeah. And so, and, and furthermore, it contains something called SCRM, CIRM, Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator. Mm -hmm. And what CIRM does is like, it's depending on what you need, if you need more estrogen, uh, pomegranates will help to bring it up. Mm -hmm. If you need to block off those receptors from those dirty estrogens from coming through, it will do that for you too. I mean, isn't that magical? Yeah, it's amazing, right? Yeah, so, you know, and it, it's neat because if you look around the world, there's, you know, these types of plants that do this, you know, differently, like pomegranates are here, red cloves over here. So what about, what about soy, right? I mean, uh, let's hypothetically say you find organic non-GMO soy, um, you know, people run from soy because it's estrogen. Uh, and then I would even say, what about flax, right? Flax is a, uh, people go, oh, I'm estrogen dominant. I can't do flax. What, what are your takes on those? Um, on soy or flax? Because they will be a little different. Soy first. Okay. So I stay away from soy only because the research is on both sides and it freaks women out. Um, and the sad thing is you know, what I have found in, when I, when I read research is that a lot of times they don't tell you exactly what form of soy they were using. Was yeah. it a non-GMO soy? Or was it organic soy? And then I'll contact the you know, the, the research party. And I'm like, can you tell me more about what you've used? And they don't respond. And so, so it's, it's kind of, because research shows both sides. Um, I actually, I mean, there is so much research also that shows the positives of soy, right? And so if you have a non-GMO um, unprocessed soy, the flavonoids in it can certainly help with raising estrogen and helps tremendously women with, with, um, hot, with, you know, menopausal symptoms. So, I don't rule it out. The the soy that I don't like is all the processed type. Yeah, right? yeah, soy milk and yeah. all of that, right? Yeah, you know, that's why I asked the question because there's people on both sides, right? What about fermented soy? Does it, some people believe it makes it better? Yeah, absolutely. And and so do I. Yeah, tempeh, for example. Really, yeah, exactly. It's a staple food in, in Indonesia, right? So absolutely. Yeah. So um, then okay, let's talk about flax because, you know, yeah. I, have people, I can't do flax. You cannot? No, no, I, I get that question. I can't do flax. Flax is in here. Oh, why can't you do flax? Do you react to it? No, I have estrogen dominance. Right. So, um, so yeah, so it's a similar story. Flaxseed is estrogenic. It contains phytoestrogens. It's going to raise your estrogen levels, right? And so it can be super beneficial for women who are low. Um, the, the, the interesting thing is that flax also does exactly what we talked about, uh, uh, pomegranates, right? Where it helps to skew the balance towards the protective estrogens from the, the, the bad ones. And so the, the dirty estrogens. So that, that is something that's very well documented. And there are studies specifically on breast cancer patients that have been, they've been using that. 
Um, and so, so yes, the, the thing that I have found, um, and let me just finish about flaxseed. I also like two other things about flaxseed. The fact that it's highly anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. and because of the oil, the ALL uh, that's in it. So that's that, you know, any form of anything that helps the, lower the inflammation is going to be supportive towards the endocrine system and, and including estrogen dominance, but also the fact that it contains a lot of soluble and insoluble fiber. And a lot of women, well, guess what, who are who have hormone problems are also constipated, right? And when you're constipated, you're recycling all those estrogens back again. And so having a really good bowel movement, feeling empty is really, really important when, a, when you're dealing with hormones. And so, um, so while I love Flexi for that, it's like, a, it's like a broom that sweeps through your colon, right? Um, so for that reason, I love it. I will say, you know, there are occasionally women who um, do take flaxseed as according, you know, as, a, as per our recommendation. And I typically recommend two tablespoons a day, freshly ground, just adding that to smoothies or, um, or just glass of water, just don't cook it. Um, but, you know, there are women who do report, have been reporting to us that they actually have been feeling worse, like their breasts have become a lot more tender their periods became worse. And so I was fascinated by that and dove into an incredible amount of research. And there is one research paper I found that said that it's the microbiome, you need specific type of bacteria to be able to break down the lignans, right? That's where all the phytoestrogens are in order to get the benefit. And so I suspect that, and I, and I wish that the paper told you what, what is the subset of bacteria? Like, and it doesn't have that. And so I can't tell you, um, I wrote to them, they didn't write back. Um, but that's just goes to say, um, you know, how it's very tightly correlated with another piece of research I have found. And that is women with breast cancer have also been found to have very limited um, diversity of bacteria in their gut. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think there was a common, I mean, I have a whole chapter just on gut restoration and and, um, and specific bacteria, there's something called the estrobolum. The estrobolum is a subset of bacteria that codes for enzymes that help you break down estrogen. So that's another reason to have a healthy gut. Um, but this to, you know, to a point of flaxseed circling back on this is that there is just, you just don't have the healthiest microflora. And so I suspect that's the reason why some women do react um, unfavorably to it. And we just ask them to stop and move to other tools. There's so many other things you can do. You know, flexi is not right. No, I, I think you're 100% right on that. Okay, last question. Um, you know, okay, how long would it take uh, someone to turn this around? Uh, you know, changing their diet. You know, taking some of the herbs, doing what you're saying. How long? How, you know, when do I feel better? That's the question. Don't you just love uh, these questions yeah. when you get them? <laughs> oh dear. Um, you know. I mean, some women start feeling better like in two weeks. Um, you know, we've had people starting drinking the herbal teas I talked about and then go like, wow, my hot flashes are gone. Like what's going on here? And there's others who, you know, might need two, three months to really yeah. um, start really? seeing the difference. I will say, you know, I had an assistant those several, several years ago. She wasn't, she, she was a good example of someone I would never hire again for my team. So like these days, my team is like, they all do that stuff, you know, because we like, we all believe in this. And, yeah. and I think it's really important, right? To run a business, to run the company of practice and to really yes. get yes. your team to believe in it. So she was like one of those skeptics. And, um, and one day she comes and she says, you know, I've got, I was diagnosed with uterine polyps. What do I do? I'm like, I'm just do like, you know, like, you know what I teach, <laughs> you, you know, you, you post my blog articles, you know what, you prove them. And she, <coughs> excuse me, she kind of selected 
collectively picked a few things to do. She didn't even do the full day elimination diet. You know, she just picked and chose, like, I think she did give up dairy. She slowed down on alcohol, did a little bit of more flaxy, just here and there, a few things. And she went back to her OBGYN two months later. And she had, out of the two uterine polyps, one disappeared and the other one was so small, she told her to come back next year. So, and that's just been two months, right? Kind of yeah, not even a full protocol. Yeah. So it, it really, I mean, your body, your body will respond, you know? Body heals. And I've noticed that too, you know, with, uh, with this, I mean, granted, there might be some other major upstream issues and it takes someone much longer, but, you know, for the average, you know, person that dietary related estrogen dominance, I mean, the body can, the body can move it pretty quickly. Hold up your book again. Um, and there you go. And uh, maybe it's out here any week. By the time people view this, they'll actually be able to get it. Yes. <laughs> so, but overcoming estrogen dominance, a uh, lot of lot of time and effort and research and pain to purpose in, in that book. So um, if I was going to listen to someone about estrogen, I would absolutely make more estrogen dominance. I'd make sure that they actually had it, uh, you know, and lived to tell about it. And telling the story like you are worldwide. So uh, you are the expert for a good reason. You know, you, you went through a lot. Thank you for the book. Thank you for being here and, um, you know, get the book. So Magdala, thank you. Thank you very much. Magdalena, Magdalena, right? There you go. <laughs> it is. Thank you so much for, for having me and spreading the word. I, you know, I, this is, this is really my work's mission. Yeah, no, it is. I, and I, I can see that. And, Again, I, I, you know, you brought so much great information uh, to the show and people need to hear this, share the show, um, because this is a topic that people are misdiagnosed and mistreated. We have to spread the word. Thank you again. Thank you. Hey, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cytodetox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cytodetox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach. For over 15 years, I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us um, and it's changed so many lives. So we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Well, that's it for this week. The materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you would like to purchase some of the supplements mentioned on this show, please visit the site as seen on chtv.com and use the code CHTV15 for 15% off. Again, that's as seen on chtv.com. Use the code CHTV15 for 15% off. And as always, thanks for listening.